Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. This is Srijan, and you're listening to the Social Impact Stories. This is a podcast where I join in Zoom calls with student leaders from around the world and listen to their impact-driven social initiatives. And I believe these stories are worth sharing because a world led by you to bring positive changes, now that's inspirational. And I really love listening to those stories too. And this latest episode is very interesting. Here I talk with Adrija Das. She is a co-founder of Unmilit, an organization that aims to impart holistic education to the marginalized children. And in this episode, I talk about her journey, about how she did her fundraising for this non-profit organization, and about the obstacles of being a social entrepreneur. I'm sure you're going to love this episode. I'm so glad to be here to be able to share my story and be able to learn more from this amazing conversation. It's really lovely to have you here and I'm really glad that you could make the time to be here and I'm just loving it. Before we were starting, I was reading through your emails and the thing you are doing, which is really fascinating because what I understand from uh, re- reading the articles and everything so the organization is a student-led organization that you co-founded with your college mates which is Unmilit I literally love the backstory about the naming too we'd really get into it a bit more so what you guys are doing is you are supporting local orphanage and lower income families uh, students with uh, school supplies and helping them to grow and you have impacted 130 people already which is huge amazing congratulations on that so before we dive more into what you guys are really doing i would love to know how it all got started because because <clears throat> you are a student right and <clears throat> maintaining your academic studies and at the same time doing all these things because the things you guys are doing that needs a lot of planning and then more time executing them so you are investing a lot of time there so it must need a huge amount of dedication so what really keeps you motivated for doing all this and and how it all got started when I say that education is the stepping to- stone for a more equitable future is what I truly have believed in from the very beginning. Um, but education specifically, because it ties down to who I am, um, where my family comes from, what my family has gone through. From a very young age, I, you know, my parents instilled in me that I am very privileged. And I understand that because I've gotten things in regards to my education um, if I ask once or even before asking. So there hasn't been any issue. But because I have this privilege, I also believe that I have the responsibility on the other hand because I acknowledge that not many in many areas, especially the majority, do not have the access to education. And I would love to change that. Maybe because I have this drive, I was able to have many people around me. Very fortunate to have those four people who co-founded Unmilit with me, who really were the driving force. I mean, they never let me stop. I think when like-minded people get together, you do wonders. I think that's what happened. And that's what keeps us going, basically. I mean, 130 people, when we started, we started off, I remember, when we were filling up the Millennium Fellowship form, and how many people you think you'll be positively impacting, we wanted to put in 50. The bare minimum. We didn't even think anything would happen. I mean, it could have been, I don't know, but when you start, you don't think you will be able to achieve that much. But at the end of the day, you are actually able to do quite a lot. I think many of us who have started on these kind of journeys have that similar kind of a story. I think you must have something uh, similar as well. We'd love to know about that as well, because it's all about us learning. Yeah, because I love one thing about the thing that you said, when you have wonderful people around you, then 
wonderful things happen because what i loved about this thing in another episode with summer she is from england she was saying the same ex- exact things because when you start doing it other things would follow so you were just thinking 50 people would be <laughs> but then you started doing it and 130 which is more than just double <laughs> so yeah when you start doing great things the impact starts exponentially growing anyway sorry for interrupting please continue <clears throat> no no absolutely not so that's what it all ties down to basically and also you know coming from a country where right to education is a fundamental right so everybody has a right to primary education but what is the reality is that having a fundamental right to education does not cement the fact that everybody has the equitable access to education and especially with the pandemic things i won't say that it was always equitable but things have accelerated to a position where I feel that if not an appropriate intervention is made, both at the local, you know, at the very minuscule level to say the uh, policy changes, I don't think things can become, you know, the better version of itself. So I think that's why we started Unmilit. And also the name Unmilit, um, you must be familiar. So if I do not pronounce it in a like a very anglicized way, it's Unmilito. So basically what we meant was, um, what it means in Bengali is bloom to bloom. And we believe that education will lead to that blooming into the Everest of potential, as I put it in, in the form, which I don't think we have been able to achieve to that extent, but we're working towards that build by build. And I hope it happens. Um, but yeah, so uh, it all comes down to this one thing. I've, I have faced this problem a lot that a lot of communities that we work with, they are so used to the fact that they cannot have education. They're so used to the fact that being part of a community by the virtue of birth, which is purely an accidental thing, like my birth, your birth, it's not like you can choose. So these communities have actually internalized the feeling that, oh, we belong to this community. You know, get, getting an education is extremely difficult when you are from this. But it shouldn't be when we are peddling in every school level, college level essay, education is a basic human right. That is what is being taught and peddled day by day. But you're actually not seeing it translate. So I guess um, that's how it all, uh, I think, comes full circle. That as students, as a person who has found has fallen in love with the circle of academia, I will do my level best to, you know, stabilize things, to have, so that people, you know, doesn't, it's not just literacy, you know, having a dignified life. Education gives you a chance at that. So, um, so that's it from my side. <laughs> On this, uh, that's how it all got started, basically. The thing I all the thing you guys are doing that's really amazing but that what touched me the most is how you're talking about it because when you're talking we can feel that passion in your voice in your expressions and how much you are passionate about it, it totally comes up when you're talking about it and truly right <clears throat> and so another thing that you mentioned about the education system itself and being your neighboring country, I totally understand that because in this subcontinent, it is a right, but it has become kind of like a privilege, not anymore just a right. Although, yeah, certain initiatives are being taken. But another question that I, not a question, rather a thought that really, I mean, amazed me was you guys are saying, holistic education and i really love that part because in our subcontinent the education system is more of a bookish education system it more focuses on textbooks but we need to address other things not just the textbooks because when in a holistic education system it addresses a student's emotional social ethical and academic it's all of it and we are hardly addressing all of it just 
because of it's a right you have to deliver education we're just going on and on about all those academics and so i really love that you're combining both those things together providing educational supplies and education workshops and all to the people who needs it and not just academic education you are targeting a more holistic approach towards it so i really love to know how you guys are <clears throat> doing all these things and what you guys are really doing here yeah so when this project actually started taking its form i'm going to be very honest it started with the millennium petition so i mm -hmm. uh, received a, a whatsapp message from one of our i'm one of the co campus directors i have another campus director of course like two campus directors okay. so she was the one who actually brought us all together for millennium campus network and the fellowship and everything so when we were brainstorming about the a uh, social impact actually so you know there was this line education for all under the unai impact uh, thing that what are you actually working towards so when we clicked on that i think as sociology majors as well it always irks us that academia and academic bookish education is not the end all be all <laughs> you are my neighbor in the truest sense of the term so like no one better understands the situation than you so and also like our parents they peddle you like you know school education academia or oh, the best thing i think as bengalis ourselves the thing is we are very you know but much into co curriculars as well but you reach a certain age and mm -hmm. it's like you know you need to enter a professional career everything goes out of the package but what i wanted to focus with this especially with uh, lower income families is that they don't need um you know a humongous phd degree what they need so what we try to focus on is need based education what they actually need from us so what we managed to do was go in those lower income areas ask them mm -hmm. so there was an excuse not many people are actually willing to talk to you that that often and that to like uh, young kids like 19 years old what even are they going to talk about so uh, for lack of a better word we surveyed basically so what is your take on the education system and what we came to the conclusion is many people are into co curriculars you know the children they love to paint uh, they they're really good at re recitation um they're wow. really good at singing some are good at dancing some are real good at handicraft some are good at you know we in our area where we actually conducted all these surveys and projects uh there were many workshops that were making uh sanitary napkins for women wow. but they were not able to market it you know they it, they were not able to make a living out of it they were weaving baskets for themselves but cannot make a living out of it so in the, those areas what education can do is to open these channels up so vocational education not just you know literacy is important yes basic literacy is very important crucial to development even but at the same time these are the things that are going to support a community to be independent you know to be sustainable to be able to sustain itself all together um independently against all the adversaries that come with it because when you are not educated when you don't have you know belief in what you do can actually sustain yourself you actually are in a very vulnerable spot and people you know dishonest people are everywhere so people take advantage of that bothers me but you cannot like being college level kids you cannot just go in no will kill you instead these kind of things doesn't happen so the threats don't work the opposite way and also with holistic education apart from need based and vocational training what we wanted to focus on were two other things one was basic sex ed and family planning and second was vaccination right now both are extremely controversial it's a taboo you with vaccination things are becoming better with sex ed family planning not so much so they're not interested in talking with you they're not interested in having that kind of a conversation things don't flow above that ground of you helping them 
with, say, supplies or workshops. But we have tried. The only response we get, we keep on getting from people is, children are too innocent for this. They are innocent. They want, as much as I would like to believe it, I believe children are innocent enough. I was too once. Um, we all were at <laughs> once upon a time. The world is not. And as much as I value that child's innocence, I would rather having him lose, you know, quote unquote, lose that innocence over me, you know, teaching them these good touch, bad touch, when are the things you should complain, rather than them facing the adverse effect of what can come out of people's greed and their manipulative tendency and what, what are not people do. So child sexual abuse is huge problem in many communities and it is because the conversation doesn't flow so with us doing on millets it wasn't we knew that it wasn't enough and it would be great that if we pedal this um in the workshops because mm -hmm. you know once people are in that room they're not getting out that <laughs> that's so, the best strategy as long as you can hold them out tell them even if they don't agree like peddling it 10 times, 50 times, I think it does help. Um, but I don't know how much we have succeeded in that, but we are trying. We'll see. We I hope you <laughs> succeed soon. So the workshops, what are they about actually? What are the workshops you guys are taking on? Yes, so um, basically what it includes, first of all, with the kids is the co-curricular activity. Now kids mm -hmm. are fascinated with mobile phones and laptops. So you make use of that. It's not, I don't, you know, when we first started off, we started off at a local orphanage because we needed a structure at right. place, you know, with kids where they can come and sit and we can teach. I remember I brought in my laptop and we were talking, 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 teaching them this and that. All they were interested in me was for me to play a cartoon on the laptop. <laughs> <laughs> and, but you know, so for the next day, what we did was we taught through the cartoons, you know, teaching them through the cartoons, those moral sciences, moral education. Now you have everything at the at your hand. So you teach them little, little things like you want them to know about um, because these are little kids. So health, hygiene, how to hash, wash your hands, you know, what is good health? How do you, um, you know, what is honesty, morality? then uh, little things like um, storytelling and all this through, say, interactive sessions, mm -hmm. through those animated uh, films, short films, cartoons you have. They're much more uh, bubblier when it's that. So they come together and scream for answers. Can I answer? Can I answer? Another incentive is that, say that, um, so you have a bag of chocolates and you give them as incentive. Oh, so you participate, you get a free chocolate. So that's how you start. Because just going in with books and copies and drawing pencils and materials, they're going to be scared of you. They're going to run away. They're thinking you have come there to play. Uh, but yeah, so these are the kind of workshops we do. So, um, you know, giving them art materials so that they could draw and be supervised, you know, co-curricular activities like storytelling, singing, dancing, anything that makes them happy for that two hours we are there. Um, but for the lower income families, you cannot have them gather at one place, say, regularly, because they have other commitments and their survival is much more important than them attending such a thing. So it's more, those workshops are more like going to door to door and telling them. But we have, you know, found success in that because um, how we do this is that. Um, Telling them of what you may, you may ask is about, you know, there are many incentives and policies that have been brought out by both our central government and our state government. But these people, they think they are too, too poor to even think that they will get those kinds of facilities. But those are for them. These have been brought in place to help them, help boost their economic uh, prosperity. So you tell them these kinds of things. And you also, uh, so what we did was we, um, so we are planning, it hasn't happened yet because we had our exams and things mm -hmm. shut down because of Omicron. But what we are trying is, so as I told you, there are people in our community who manufacture sanitary napkins. 
but those are you know cloth napkins and so a sustainable a kind of an approach than to the synthetic ones and yeah. in some places a bit cheaper as well so what we are doing is that buy those things from them okay and then peddling a you know sustainable menstruation drive among the privileged because those people who are privileged they, because you cannot have a sustainable menstruation drive among the underprivileged they haven't had the privilege to have a healthy menstruation you need to have them at that level so the people who are privileged section have the idea of what um you know the amount of waste that is generated off Uh, the synthetic napkins and there are alternatives in place so okay. if those alternatives are coming from people who can actually make a living out of these i think it's a win win situation so that is the aim uh, we are halfway there <laughs> but we need to work you know it needs to come full circle after this omicron i think that contained a little bit maybe in the coming months things will open up and we can actually have a proper drive instead of sitting in front of a camera and just lecturing on uh, sustainability yeah actually do the work on it this is very lovely work that you're doing especially the one about sanitary napkin you guys are buying it from them and then going to sell it that's a l- amazing idea because when you were talking about addressing the problems with the lower income families and i totally understand the frustration here cuz i kind of wanted to once do something about it so here's the thing the university i studied in brack university and just behind our university there is a huge slum which is bangladesh's biggest slum and world's third largest slum and so um in our university campus in in the tea stalls like you know what a tea stall is <laughs> for those who don't know what a tea stall is it's just a stall <laughs> where you sell tea and, <laughs> and the best tea and the best teas and you just yes. hang around with your friends and gossip and everything <clears throat> so it's an amazing thing you guys should visit here <laughs> anyway so in the tea stalls and around that place there would be this kids who were from the slum they're begging for money and so here's the thing i was talking to one of them and i was like okay i won't give you money rather i would buy you anything that you want to eat cuz what i have heard overheard another day that they were taking money and sometimes they were using those money for drugs or cigars and they're just little kids knee high kids i was so much perplexing all this so i was like i'm not going to give you money i'm going to buy you everything so this is how my friendship started with them okay they comes to me at every time i'm just i'm getting tea then i'm like okay buy anything you want i'm just paying so this is how and then i got into talking to them and i was like why don't you guys go to school is it because of the money because we can me and my friends they're all kind of dedicated so we can help you with that if you go to school we would buy you uniforms and everything and then they were like no if i go to school when i'm begging here i'm getting more money and i have to support my family because my dad is not doing anything and he is just 8 years old so this is and i mean this is pathetic and sad but this is the reality because they this is kind of their livelihood their family won't survive so we were really worried about like even if we taught them free that won't be cost effective for them cuz when we are teaching them for free that is an investment for them obviously cuz with that education they can earn things in the future do other stuff but that investment is very costly for them cuz they are losing that time when they could earn something so and so we were planning how we can address it and before we could find any solution the covid-19 hit and so we couldn't really go any further with that so that is the problem like even even if i find every single student to sponsor them there are a lot of people there so that is not a solution money is not the solution here but I, why i'm sharing this story is because i loved how you guys are taking their skills 
making them more trained on it and then helping them by buying them it, buying those things from them selling it and it is working both ways creating awareness about the menstrual cycle and at the same time helping them encouraging them to be more skilled about these things and at the same time you guys can throw in the educational things and take on learn <laughs> so that's a very intelligent thing to do i should try something like that we if my friends at all <laughs> I'm sure you're going to do great because I think this is a universal problem that mm-hmm. kids are there to support the family. You know? That's why I always say family planning is essential. Uh, but again, taboos, culture, politics just over now. Yeah, that, that is true. The only word I have is sad. <laughs> It is sad, but well... when you are in your social impact journey sometimes you have to deal with those sadness and be positive enough to keep doing the right thing in in the beginning you were saying that maybe we won't be able to be that much impactful but that is what this is special about that when you start with a very small change it would turn into a huge positive impact eventually with time and you guys are doing that 130 people that's amazing so workshop and uh, co-curricular activities and another thing you mentioned in the mail was you guys are also giving school supplies to them i'm curious uh, about how you are managing the funding from it because i understand it must be very difficult so are you guys sponsoring it yourself or do you have some ways funding was the most difficult part of it all I remember when we aimed at doing it, we were like, Obena, impossible. How will we manage? Because all we've heard from people, like asking for sponsors, going door to door, was no. It hurt to the biggest lesson. I remember, like, never been rejected like that in my life. Uh, hurt. Like, trying to do something. You know, what I always... got so frustrated about i am a better person now mm-hmm. but then i was like you you eat at a five star restaurant can't spare 200 rupees <laughs> but that was uh we were very sad uh, anyway how it all came full circle was when we had i remember you know when people start rejecting you your morale goes down and you think you won't be able to achieve anything So then I remember there was this uh, webinar that Millennium Fellowship do. I uh, think a global webinar. I think this was the second, second or third thing with Pia, and she was talking about how rejection goes both ways. And okay. I was like, okay, I can find some sympathy amongst people, and maybe I should. We should look at some other places. So what we did was we did not go for a door-to-door campaign. because and we did not ask for sponsors we didn't, i didn't approach any ngo or anything that i had prior connections with for volunteer work and this and that so we didn't approach them because i knew that you know once they have rejected you they're not going to do anything else instead what we did was we contacted like relatives friends friends and family you know if you have like a good somewhat of a structure your family with your relatives would feel like bad saying no to you so that's why you hold it in but i think what drove the point home for us was structuring it around your close friends and family first and having a minimum goal and buying things at a wholesale market so that you can you know get things a bit cheaper um but the reason we were able to like get like a box it wasn't exactly 30000 in indian rupees it was a bit less than that i think 29 i cannot remember the exact okay i was so happy that i don't remember the exact numbers but the reason it all happened like this is because we did it in the month of september now you must know the september october month is very crazy for bengali because of durga puja and people are really happy trying to spread joy happiness this and that and that so you hold people's happiness then you are spreading happiness give us some happiness it's going to make these kids life happy and i've seen this you know 
at first this rejection third because we were thinking too far but when it came to like near family friends when they heard what we were doing they were more than ready to help us out even i'll tell you um it, i don't think many people are familiar with the concept of tuition teachers but we have tuition teachers in india like mm-hmm. people we have here in bangladesh too yeah like just extra coaching or something you know one of them sponsored like whole bunch of copies and pencils and all that and even like so one of my members like one of um, the uh, five of us who founded ummelit uh, she her family has one of her relatives have like a huge store so he funded all the food that we gave to the kids you cannot just have a, a like a donation drive about food because kids love food we love food so he just funded all of that so things came full circle when we looked closer so what i have learned from this entire uh, exercise is that when you start off and you do not have anybody backing you you're not a huge organization you're a little person whom many people have never heard the name of so the the only way you can drive it home is to look very close to home once you have done that the next step now people know so from their friends your relatives their relatives their friends their friends it comes full circle now we have people saying that when you do something like this next time do contact us will love to wow so things have come full circle and i don't know how was your fundraising experience have you had any these similar kinds of stories Okay, my one is different because that project I'm really working on at the moment that is more of a startup, <laughs> and so we were we approach investors and all, and so that was a different thing. And I guess it's not really suit- suitable for this conversation. But yeah, one similar story I have because it's also kind of related to your idea. but it was sponsored by myself so cuz in the pandemic there is we have book fairs in our country in february which is a huge thing here and cuz bengalis are very fond of reading books and everyone loves going and so it's a festival here the annual book fair that happens in february but because of the pandemic that first at first got delayed and then it didn't happen and so where i live the children around me they were very sad and i'm very friendly with all of them <laughs> so they were very sad about it what can we do what can we do <clears throat> and so my idea was okay let's do a book fair by our own what we are going to do maybe you have two books that i haven't read and i have five books that you didn't read so we fixed a date and everyone came around 20 people came i i just do five or seven people <laughs> but from one to another everyone knew about it and then and on 20 children all of them I, i'm saying children like i'm a very old person but they were all like in 9th or 10th grade <laughs> so that's not that much of a kid but yeah they all but came i always <laughs> refer to all 30, 130 of them as kids like those kids like, you see um i just turned 20 and there are many who are 19 in that mm-hmm. 130 bunch but it doesn't change the fact that they're kids they're kids they'll always remain kids <laughs> oh wow that was such a motherly statement <laughs> kids will <laughs> always remain a kid no i really I don't know that. why but it's always like kids Um, no, okay so those kids they came with their books and our plan was today we are so i asked them to bring some bed sheets so they could spread it on the field and they uh, kind of made their own stalls for books and the thing i loved about it is they were literally advertising their books like i have read harry potter and you should read this harry potter book too because harry potter is this and that so they were sharing about what they have learned from it and then they were able to sell it sell it as in it's not like getting money they're just giving it to them and our plan was after a week 
you can take as many books as you want but after a week we again meet back and then we exchange back our books and then we talk about what we have learned from all those books so this was kind of the thing that we did and so to keep them motivated i bought some gifts <laughs> and everything because they are after all kids if they are just going back with their own books at the end of the day they would be like uh, come on so i bought some gifts for them which was from my own saving <laughs> but i really love the we thing all start that... somewhere. yeah um, so i really want to do it again but now the omicron virus is getting I mean, it's getting very difficult for everything, but let's hope for the best. But yeah, the thing that you shared, the experience that you shared, that's really something. And I believe a lot of people can relate to it. And most importantly, those who are planning to do something like that and struggling to get the funding can do this approach, staying close to bring it home first and then the next step. I really love how you guys like plan a thing very in a very organized way and then you're moving forward. That's really lovely. So, well, I'm, I'm really amazed with the works you guys are doing. <laughs> I'm telling you, it sounds great when I'm saying it, but when it was actually happening, it was chaos complete chaos none of us knew actually how to tabulate things because we never done this before for the first time you're doing something there is an excitement also but there is also this point that you have to deliver because you know the people who have actually donated to your cause you know them they know you they're going to see what ends up at the end of the day <laughs> that's um, right they got yeah <laughs> The kids, I mean, you know, what I always felt like, I don't, I did not want this to be just a donation drive. I wanted them to, you know, just, you know, not be, yeah, these people came for a day. I just that. I didn't want it to be that because they had seen it a lot, a lot in their lives. They don't need some, you know, we, I, I, I always told all my fellow mates that it's not a savior complex. You should go in. I always peddle the thought that work with the community, not for the community. Work with them, amongst them, they will accept you, very much so. But at the end of the day, I feel um, what we have been able to achieve with the fundraising, of course, is again, all of us come from a very privileged background. All of your family, relatives, friends are at a social status where they can actually afford to spend 500, 1,000 rupees on some random people's donation type. But I did not want it to be a random person's donation drive. Actually, we actually wanted to showcase that how a small so-called student-led organization with absolutely zero history of social impact started and actually made somewhat of a difference. If that counts, anybody can start and make that somewhat of a difference. We did it with 130 people. You don't have to do it with 130. It can be five. Do it with five and we'll be happy. But yeah, I think that's how we all begin. Don't we? I'm really sure that is how you began and you'd go a long way because the passion that you show and I truly believe the idea that you guys are working on and it is very important that other people come forward, start doing on their own because <clears throat> you're doing it in your own community and the problem with social entrepreneurship is it it gets really tough sometimes very tough because as an entrepreneur you have more bad days than good days because <laughs> most of the times you don't know what to do no one teaches you how to do that because if they already knew how to do it would have been done <laughs> so we really don't know how to do all these things. But what I believe is the good days that we really have, those drive as a motivation to keep on going. Because you said about those 130 people, you thought about just 50 and then it became 130. And those 130 smile, I know how it feels like. It's just amazing. <clears throat> but yeah that was my reflection on it so what what do you think about it because i feel like it's very tough 
when you were working on this area, the social entrepreneurship line, and you keep on going, how do you stay motivated and keep on doing it? I don't actually. I'm a very pessimistic person. Uh, truth be told, and I think of the worst before I think of any good things happening. Um, but um, you know, uh, I do not consider myself to be a social entrepreneur. I think I'm far, far, far away. You will be very soon. This is how it's. That title. <laughs> it's <laughs> not really a title. Rather, it's a thing that you believe in in your heart. And if you are from your heart a social entrepreneur, then you really are. And I can sense that. I appreciate passion in your voice and your face, the way you care about the things you work for. But I guess yours is much more harder than mine. I mean, you pro- I approach people in a community um, that is ready to accept me to some extent. You approach people wearing suits, investors. That must be harder. I don't know. I don't think I'll ever trade off yours because I think yours is much more complicated on my end. Yeah, I have bad days, but... You know, you can sleep over it and you think, oh, it's okay. It didn't happen this month. It will happen next month. I'll save off something of mine. We'll make do of it. We'll find another place. Y'all needs to be much more structured. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that's true. But with time, we keep changing because we don't really know which one is going to work. The thing about entrepreneurship is there is no perfect secret recipe. <laughs> you have to keep trying and trying and then it just comes out. And so, we'll cry at times. You need a good, that, good cry to be, I think, like social entrepreneurship comes with a package of crying at least an hour a day. <laughs> because I remember the donation drive at the beginning, which is zero. We all are at zero. I just was like, I'll leave it. And over on top of that, you have academic stress. So that you have, a, like, you have to maintain your academic performance. I come from an, a background, an institution that um, I've already established myself. And you have to, like, you know, like, you cannot like totally slack off in the studies. You have to be somewhat manage both. So I did not want either to drown. How do you Why? balance it? Like, I. I continuously keep on facing this problem how do i balance it i don't i don't know it happens i'm telling you it just comes together nothing (laughs) in my life i don't know why i think some bad omen or something i don't i'm not superstitious but i believe in this bad omen i have it's like nothing in my life goes right the first time so it sinks to a level where i think i'm gonna drown and die somehow I just come back up. It has happened like academia. I'm telling you, I had my NSEM, my second NSEM exam, and I was doing everything. We were like structuring projects and this and that. It was like the start of the fellowship and I had COVID, so everything shut down again. Oh no. (laughs) And I'm laughing now. I was crying then, but um, again, so this Millennium Fellowship thing, I thought it will all fall apart. Like, how how am I, how will all of us, like, what are we going to do in the middle of a pandemic? The orphanages that we were contacting, the original plan that we had was to go and teach at slums. Those all things are, like, closed off, like, far away. How are we going to manage? We cannot risk the lives of people for an apparent social work. So I thought everything was going to fall apart and it fell apart, but then it built itself up somehow. I don't know how, but somebody, somebody somewhere helped me out. And um, I think, um, but, but one thing I will say is that if you have even a loosely structured plan and you, you know, I have always like done this is that I kept aside like two hours of my day for this um, project and because it deserves my time and my effort and it needs to be the best, the perfect. Like I will give it my all, the all I can. So that helps you keep aside uh, some, some time. But I think other than that, one thing that helps 
I think, faith in yourself and that resolve you have that kind of like pedals you and grinds you. No, you have to maintain hope. And if you are this uh, sad bunch of people like me who are very pessimistic and you like overthink things to a certain degree that you plan out everything, it, it works out. You know, you will fail. It's okay. You are, your academic performance will suffer. You are not able to reach your goal with your project. It's okay. Take a step back. Think about it. Sleep over it. Cry over it. The next day, you wake up, make a resolve. It doesn't matter what happened, happened. I can't change that. I won't cry anymore. But I will have a loosely structured plan that will guide me, if not to that level that I want, to my goal, somewhere close to it. I don't need to have a fixed goal. I've always felt this that, you know, having a fixed goal, like I'll impact 50 people or um, I'll complete this by three months or Sometimes you have deadlines, but at the end of the day, if you have a loose structure, I think it, for me, it has worked out. I give myself the benefit of the doubt that some way or somehow I'll come into it and it will happen. Or, or maybe a less serious answer is that if you're like me, you function best under pressure. So uh, things are falling apart. That's when you perform your best. That is true, that, actually. That's not a good advice. <laughs> that is not a good advice, but that is what happens <laughs> most of the time. That is not a good advice. But that is, that is practical because it happens with me and I have seen it to happen. When you are all calm and everything is so in your favor, then I have found that we are not moving forward. I'm just sitting there. <laughs> but when I'm in pressure, then somehow, like, we start functioning to our full potential. <laughs> Somebody needs to push you, you know? Like, just... You yeah, know, that just, pushes very is tomorrow. Important. The deadline is tomorrow. I can suffer. I, I think I produce my best version of myself during those times. The best assignments I've written 24 hours ago. The best idea, the best plan I've worked out for the workshop 24 hours ago. It's never a week ago for me. <laughs> That's a terrible <laughs> advice. But nah, it well, but it's funny how I could relate to it. I'm not proud of it. I'm glad. But, but kind of like becoming the master of procrastination, but performing we very well. You see, this world has gone crazy. We all deserve a little bit of procrastination. It has harmed nobody. Let's not think about much of that. It's okay. <clears throat> <laughs> I really love it how you got very, I mean, the things you were sharing were very cold-hearted truth and being sad and everything about the person. And then finally you ended with a very happy, warm touch <laughs> to it. So <clears throat> for those that's of us... the world. You see, that's the world. The world, you know, people around you, situation around you, they just stab you and... You feel like you can't go on and then like somebody puts a band-aid. It doesn't fix anything. But you feel like you belong. Somebody cares. Lovely. I, I told you I'm very pessimistic. Anyway. You, you keep telling that you are pessimistic, but the things you say are very optimistic. <laughs> the more things I you were working towards, things. the I things you were working it. towards, you have a very optimistic passion that i can say because otherwise you wouldn't have never started to dream about an equitable world which is very hard to achieve but also i believe that someday we will be able to achieve with people like you and there are many more i'm i'm just a person who conducts a podcast and invites people and amazing also, people and also like has you. a startup and also cares about yeah caring is very important i have came to understand that <clears throat> and uh, another thing i missed that i love when you say that uh, just a couple of minutes ago about not being a force that works for the community rather being someone who works with the community 
that is the part that is most important and even in our fellowship we focused on it a lot like being the sidekick of the story not the hero because when you're being a hero you are victimizing people but it's not about that if you really truly care about the person and the cause that you're working for you will become one with them and only then you can push them to go forward <clears throat> and i mean i really Hero victimizing thing. Yes, you're right. <laughs> Thank you. So before we end, any final advice to the people who are listening? It has been almost an hour. So if anyone is still here, that's really amazing because you guys are really passionate about it. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. So for those people who are maybe thinking about starting. A social impact journey just like you any advice for them i would say one of many advices my father gave me when we started up was that be proud of your project be proud of the work you're doing because if you are doing something honestly if you're doing something with all your heart and you know it's creating a positive impact you need to have that pride in yourself and remember remind yourself every time that it doesn't matter if your impact is too little or too small it's too easy no impact comes easy no positive impact is ever easy but with a little bit of resolve and faith kindness and love all of us are capable of doing wonders so just be proud of a person who you're becoming if you are doing things honestly i i have incorporated it in my project that you know when you're proud of your project when you take pride in the work you take pride in the people who are working with you uh, who along with you are for forming formidable change a community that is passionate that is sustainable that is that has a dignified life i think that wonder is right there and that's my advice I don't think I'm the right person for an advice, but if I have to give, no, that is a very beautiful advice you just said, and obviously you are the right person for it because you know what it's like to have those frustration of not being able to do it, and then finally coming around those problems and going to a solution because that is what we need here and the student leaders who are all out there. So thanks again for coming here, take. this time and sharing all this stuff thank you for having me it's an honor it's my honor actually to be able to talk <clears throat> so with that stay tuned everyone for the next episodes thank you